0: This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, Please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on
1: iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Today is a unique episode because we are answering questions from you, our listeners.
0: You know, Saul, when we brought up the idea of us answering questions, I was wondering what we were going to have to do here. Uh, I am really, I'm really excited about this opportunity. Uh, we have some wonderful questions uh, given to us. It's very evident by the, the, the questions that we receive that there's some uh, significant issues out there in this uh, hospice world that we are a part of. And
1: uh, why don't you ask the first question, Saul, and then we'll get started. All right. The first set of questions is concerning the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And here's a question for Maturo. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected you?
0: Me personally. I'm just gonna, yeah, I'll just talk for me personally, not for my my job yet, but I'll just talk about me. I've I just celebrated with my mother her 97th birthday on Monday. And I was able to be with her. And I could not get over. I still have that that emotion. That I was able to be in her presence. I actually hugged her, which I wasn't supposed to do. And, I mean, it it—it it was delightful. And I know how much it has triggered in me all those concerns about uh, all the other people that I meet and, and greet and uh, elbow hit and stay six feet away from, and how is it? It's just a different feeling for me to be in the presence of others. And I have fear. Mm. Uh, I'm in that uh, older age group, and I worry about that. Uh, I think of now turning towards the hospice, my hospice chaplaincy. How am I going to be able to, you know, you talk on the phone with people, and, you know, it... You know, people get tired of that and i think everybody understands that that it you know if you can call them and check on them each month or whatever how often you want to and eventually they're they're it just to the point well we're fine. Mm. We're fine right now. And that troubles me because we know that they're not true. So that's me. Where are you at, Saul? Uh
1: i remember initially at the beginning of the pandemic uh it was tough uh just to be told you cannot make visits. You know, I remember when it was declared as a national emergency, immediately the psychosocial team was told to stay home.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh you feel like a lot is, is taken away from you. You know, so the first few weeks, it was challenging. And then there came that word, non-essential. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like adding salt to the wound. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That became uh, uh, difficult, because uh, now you can not only go out to do you know visits, but now you're even non-essential. I thought what I did was essential. so it really it, it created a sense of uh, a sense of grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and normally when we're in that moment of grief, we thank God for the hospice chaplains organization. That's when we started to do these community gatherings. Mm-hmm. Uh, weekly mm-hmm. uh, support groups. I think that really helped. Um, yeah. But yeah, the impact of the pandemic uh, initially was negative. And then we're allowed to begin to make some visits. Uh, right now, I make some visits where necessary, but most of it is uh, through telehealth, which is also hard. Yeah. Uh, because I, I believe that the magic of hospice is in being present, you know, in face to face and having that powerful, meaningful connection and visit.
0: Well the thing that that really as part of this started out was when you came to me and said, Joe, well let's go do this let's let's do this this podcast thing. And I, I was scared to death quite frankly. Uh, putting on these headphones and talking into a microphone and thinking that there are gonna be people out there who might even consider listening to what I have to say is just overwhelming but it certainly has allowed me to vent some of my my concerns about this whole pandemic and how am i going to handle it mm. and i think it like you say you know we've had the we've we've done this on zoom and we've done it in person yes and without the in person i i think that that uh, this would have been harder for me than i would have ever thought so yeah this has been quite the blessing for me yeah uh you spoke you spoke a little bit about how you're practicing how it is affecting the practice of your hospice. And I have to agree with you hundred percent on how it, you know, how we look at we, we look at this thing together. Yes. I mean, we're we're very much in tune to each other's understanding of how we are supposed to do this chaplaincy thing. And as far as being able to be with a person and a family as they're going through this dying process is 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 essential. We can't be non essential. Yeah. We are also a presence that brings us the, the holy, yes. and people, the people don't quite understand until they go through it, and then they go, "Oh, uh, thank you for being here."
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I think that answers Jen's uh, part of Jen's question. Uh, mm-hmm. Her question is how how has the pandemic affected the practice of hospice chaplaincy uh, deeply. Uh, I think the first is not not being able to visit physically and to transition from face-to-face visit to telehealth. Uh, Telehealth has been uh, challenging. You know, while it's a new avenue now for hospice to explore further and grow, um, but for chaplaincy and any kind of counseling, uh, for the entire psychosocial team, uh, it is hard because most of our patients are bed-bound and able to talk. Uh, in most cases, like, Joe, you, you said earlier when you call the family, sometimes they have nothing to say.
0: Exactly. They just,
1: and,
0: you know, they, you, you've, you've given them the support in the past. I mean, I've talked to people on several occasions, and the last time I talked to this one particular daughter, um, she was, I know she was busy, and she excused herself very gracefully, but I could tell, I could feel through the conversation, like everything's fine. There's nothing you need to do right now. So just don't, you know, it's not that you're not, not that you're bothering me, but you don't have to do this. Mm. And I think we have to be in tune with that as far as how it is that we are going to be doing this so differently from now on. I mean, it's, it's never going to be the way it was before. Yeah. Which I think leads us into the, the next question. Where do you see hospice chaplaincy going after COVID? This is from Eric Kermains. Uh This is a tough question, Eric. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I wish I had the crystal ball that would allow us to say that this is the way it's going to go. I know you don't have it. I know I don't have it. Uh, you would like to hear what each of us have to think how it's going to go. So I'm going to let you answer it first, Saul.
1: I think after the pandemic and after this uh, vaccination for everyone, I think we'll go back uh, to seeing patients. Uh, chaplains can go back to seeing patients face-to-face and having that meaningful interaction. But I can also see chaplains incorporating telehealth as, as part of uh, the tools they can use uh, for visits. Uh, but, You know, right now the future is unknown. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just looking forward, you know, to chaplains being in the field and visiting patients. Petra asks, um, how does staff support look like in this pandemic? Uh,
0: As far as what we can do as a chaplain to support our staff that we work with, uh, you know, I, I have to confess that I have not done the best that I can in my mind. Uh, I have talked to a number of our nurses on occasion, and it's very irregular. I might hear some significant, troubling case, patient situation, and I'll check on them. And I and as and they are so thankful for that time of discussion. It's like anybody else. You have something that troubles you. You need to find someone that you can trust, and usually it's someone that is not. Uh, emotionally connected to you but yet you can trust and hopefully we are that as a chaplain with our staff members i mean it's it is significant that we need to and i need to get back at that and make some phone calls and talk to the people that i i sense that might uh, need that and sometimes they don't know they need it yeah
1: i think it's important you're right to check on this stuff you can text them, you can call them, find out how they're doing. You can make yourself available to be there, to listen to them. Uh, you can also facilitate a Zoom meeting you know, with the staff. That's true. To find out how they're doing. Uh, but while you do that, also make sure you take care of yourself because this pandemic has affected everybody. Make sure you replenish. Uh, so self-care is important. As you begin to pour out in other people's lives, make sure that you're filled. But, you know, a text message can go a long way You know, with a colleague. A exactly. phone call can go a long way in helping us, especially those in the front lines.
0: You know, you brought up an interesting fact there about even ourselves. Uh, I was uh, participating in the, uh, the, the, the Facebook page there of Hospice Chaplaincy, and the... Uh, I responded to this uh, chaplain who wrote about having patients that do not respond to you and have nothing that seems to be that they even recognize that you've been there.
1: Mm.
0: And it, it troubled that person, that chaplain, so much so that they were thinking of leaving the, the, this part of the chaplain, the hospice chaplaincy. That person, I think, was very uh, brave to express their concerns, whether it was true or not. I mean, I don't I, I think it's very true that we have those. and it's that's some of the things that we need to at this time is to recognize and support. and I, I'm not sure how the hospice agencies are doing that. And it's not just our responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility to be able to to raise their hand in class and say, hey, I've got this problem. Can you help me out with it? Mm. And uh, and that's not being done, I believe, yeah. at, least the, at least in the area that we are, Saul, at least that I'm aware of.
1: True. Uh, it's challenging. So the last question on the pandemic comes from Ranchin Barnes. Please check out her book, and we also had a good interview with her here on the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Many of us are using telehealth now. Will our employers want us to continue doing these visits that way? What do you think um I think after the pandemic uh we'll be going'll we'll be going back uh, many chaplains will be able to go back to the field. but I think telehealth you know is is a vital tool I was going to say I think hospice put, will keep it
0: yep, I think you'll be putting that in that toolbox that we we need to carry with us for those. Times that we can't get to see someone,
1: hmm.
0: and uh I think uh you know I'm just very biased in thinking that the only way that we can really do this ministry is to <laughs> be in person I mean you know that's my 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 <laughs> my focus for the future to see where it is i mean uh it's it's a it's it's a helpless feeling to sit there and you're and you read about these new patients that are coming on, and all you're going to do is make a phone call to the family and see what this is all about, and you can't be there. It just, it just bugs me to no end.
1: And with that, we'll, ta- we'll take a little break, and we'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some
0: support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org.
1: All right, welcome back. Uh, this is Saul Obama, and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Uh, we are continuing our episode where we are answering questions from our listeners. Uh, this time, we transition to spiritual care for the non-religious. Uh, hi, Saul. Uh, this is a question from Shelley. Hi, Saul. I'd benefit from a discussion about helping those who are spiritual, not religious, and also those who are atheists. I think, uh, thank you for that wonderful question. I think at the heart of this question is the question, what is spiritual care? You see, spiritual care has religious overtones, but spiritual care is useful for all people, religious and non-religious. You see, spirituality can be defined as the way individuals seek and express meaning and purpose and the way they experience their connectedness to the moment, to self, to others, to nature, and to the significant or to the sacred. Perhaps the Japanese term, ikigai, meaning that which gives life significance or provides a reason to get up in the morning. Exactly.
0: And I I find that that is amazing to me when i start talking to individuals and 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 i you know i can you know i listen to what they want to talk about and a lot of times they'll even they'll ask you hey did you watch the ball game last night or did you see the football game over the weekend blah you know all those type of things that, that are important to them at the moment and you start talking about it and you relive moments of the game and you say yeah it was really great you know it was great how they came back to win or something like that and then all of a sudden, things change because you're in the moment of where you've connected with that person. And to me, that's spiritual. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go in there and say, you know, this is the presence of God now that's doing this. No. We know that the presence is God there of the, that God is there already. We need to identify what it is that makes this person live and be vibrant what and gives alive. What Exactly.
1: I remember, Joe, there was a patient many years ago and uh, as as she was dying, she wanted, uh, she requested that her favorite football team's regalia be placed around her room, Mm
0: -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm.
1: And just by honoring that, that is spiritual care, another one wanted her dog to stay with her in the last hours of her life. So supporting these facets of identity, can facilitate meaning and transcend the losses and anxiety associated with dying. That is spiritual care.
0: And people will ask you, you know, is someone who is is non-responsive, laying there on the bed in the last moments of their life, are they in a spiritual place? And I want to say definitely, because I had the opportunity one time to talk to a family, actually two children. Of this woman who was laying there, who had been laying in her bed for months, not responding. Just Finally now, she was in the, in the end stage of life. And the daughter and the son were questioning each other. What's wrong? What's, what's mom holding on to? Hmm. Really, what's holding on to mom? What, what is, you know, do we need to bring Bobby here? Hmm. And I'm like, well, who's Bobby? I'd never heard Oh, that's the third child of the family. And Bobby had some some, uh, emotional issues, let's put it that way. And I'm saying, you never know. I say, you do that. She, the mother, needed to know, even though mother was end-stage Alzheimer's, had to know her son was going to be okay. To me, that is a spiritual presence of that child coming in, telling mom it's okay. And she died two hours later. You can't tell me that the spiritual is not around us and guiding us as long as we sit and we listen to hear what it's done and what we feel. I'm I'm a big feeling person that needs to know what is the feeling of the presence of what's going around us. I mean, you can walk into a room and you can know that there's a high anxiety, there's frustration, or there's a bunch of love, or there's just a true feeling of God's presence
1: there. So that articulates the point in the context of hospice. Spiritual care is not limited to the religious uh, symbols and, and tradition.
0: Although that's but important, that though, is, you know.
1: Yeah, that, is, that is a very important part of spiritual care. Exactly. But spiritual care is translated as um, defined uh, in the context of hospice is that which gives someone meaning. And your job as a chaplain is to facilitate... Whatever gives that person meaning, and by doing that, you're doing spiritual care, mm-hmm. and that is powerful.
0: And that's partly, you know, part of that. You have to know what it is that trips that person's trigger. You know, if yeah. they need prayer, if they need scripture, mm-hmm. if they need music, and you know, some sacred music of some sort, you need to know that ahead of time, and not just say that that's what they need. Mm-hmm. You need to get to know what it is that they need to have happen to make their, their time with us uh, joyful, meaningful, uh, peaceful.
1: Yes. And that's what we need to do. And now we transition to a question from Raphael uh, about boundaries. Where to draw the line? It's important to care about our work, but equally important to know when to back away. Boundaries serve to establish and maintain a trusting chaplain-passion relationship and help chaplains maintain justice and equity in dealing with all their passions, not only the special few they love.
0: Uh, you don't know this about me, but I was at one point in our denomination, I was on a uh, on a committee, I guess you'd call it that, yeah, a committee that it would investigate uh Boundary issues. Uh, You know, in our denomination, each pastor, each clergy, and I think that included chaplains as well, were to go through boundary training. Uh, To me, this is an exceptionally challenging and scary part of our work. Uh, Because I, during my time on that committee... Uh, heard stories and became to understand exactly in my mind not exactly but what are boundary issues and a lot of it had to do is to recognize the fact that we as clergy whether you're a chaplain pastor priest whoever it is people look at us and they will put us on a on a pedestal that we don't deserve and sometimes There are clergy that love to be on that pedestal. And that's when the boundaries get blurred because they think that they do no wrong. And they take, they have to know their own self. You have to know who you are as a person, as a clergy person, so that you don't find yourself trapping someone or getting trapped into a situation that goes beyond the scope of what it means to be clergy. When they say, when you say, hey, yeah, I'm a I'm a chaplain, I'm a pastor, people will look at you and say, oh, the pastors come to visit and they put you up there. And then there's things that that go on in them and you have to be able to see what's going on with them to see if they're they're going to stop step over that boundary. Mm. And we have to know what those are.
1: Yeah. So these are some of the causes of boundary problems in hospice. In caring for dying patients, it is common for strong emotional bonds to develop. However, when the limits of the chaplain-patient or family relationship are not clear, or where normal professional boundaries are not respected, problems are likely to arise.
0: That happens more times than we want to admit, Saul, because... We find ourselves in situations where we are we are put in the middle of something. Whether it's uh, one family member against another, um, whether you're you know you're you're supporting the patient and they're not supporting the patient, Uh, we have to know when it is that we have to say, "Excuse me, uh, but I have to uh, get out of this situation somehow," and. You know, we all want to be helping, careful. I mean, helping, loving, caring people, and to do what we think is the best for that patient or that family. And sometimes, like like you just said, that is uh, we have to be aware of where it is that we're gonna, what we're doing to try and make it.
1: Yeah, these are some, These are some of the common reasons for. Uh, boundary problems in hospice. One, uh, personality styles or psychiatric disorders in which normal boundaries are not recognized or affected. Two, chaplain stress or burnout. Three, cultural misunderstanding. Uh, and here are some of the warning signs, Joe, uh, and examples of potet- uh, potential boundary uh, issues. One, giving, gift giving. Mm-hmm, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You receive gifts from the family or you're giving gifts to the patient or family. Yep. That could be dangerous. Yes. Two, patients having or wanting access to the chaplain's home phone number or other personal information. Have you been in a situation like that?
0: Oh, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want I don't want to confess all my sins right now.
1: Three. Patients or family expectations that the chaplain will provide care or socialize outside of the clinical settings. And then the chaplain revealing excessive personal information with patient or family. What do you think? Those are serious warning Those are st- signs.
0: I mean, uh If we were perfect, we wouldn't be doing it, but I know that we've all done these. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind that we have all been part of that in some fashion, form or fashion. Uh, We have to be willing to ask the tough questions. I mean, when you started talking about problems with the the boundaries and psychiatric disorders, uh, we don't always know that. We don't know if someone who is having some issues with... uh, manic depressive, uh, other issues. And we could, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I really need to talk to you about this. And if we don't know how to really discern if, there, if this is something that is, uh, something that is within our purview, our abilities, we could find ourselves being trapped into something that we're stepping over boundaries. I was fortunate when I was in the church that I had a family tell me that their daughter had just been let out of prison, coming back home. She had found her faith, and she, they knew that they wanted her, that she would want to talk to me. And I thought, well, that's very kind of you to give me that information. Thank you. And then they went on to tell me that she was also bipolar. And I had really, at that time, no understanding what it meant for someone to be bipolar, They're talking about, you know, the manic side and the depressive side. And then I learned that the manic side means that these individuals could, this is the best experience that they have is like being on a constant high all the time. Mm -hmm. And they just want to work, work. They just want to play, 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 and have fun. Well, part of it as a female is that they can be also very, become very promiscuous. Mm -hmm. This young woman who absolutely was very talented, very gifted, and also very, very pretty girl, was sitting on the opposite side of the desk to me and talking about her faith journey, and then she started getting up and trying to get around the around the table on me. I was scared to death. I was literally scared to death, and I had to keep telling her, "Sit down, sit down." And after about five times, then kept the conversation. Then she started getting up again. I said, "This time it stopped. I'm afraid you're going to have to leave." Uh, if I didn't know that. That mm. could become very troubling to me. Yeah, and I mean, she was doing nothing out of her normal. Mm. I would have been responded in, I, you know, if I didn't respond appropriately, that could have been trouble.
1: Yeah,
0: and that's where we are. Even when we're in this chaplaincy thing, where you could find yourself being, you know, you have that role as a as the as the powerful pastor, and that is attractive to a lot of some people.
1: Mm.
0: And you have to be. You know, why me? You know how did that? Why is that? Why would that ever happen to me? Because you're in that role.
1: So you're saying so self-monitoring is, is important uh, for the chaplain.
0: Know yourself.
1: Yes. Uh, okay. Not all boundary issues are detrimental to the chaplain-patient relationship. Some clearly enhance compassionate care and serve to reinforce a trusting therapeutic relationship. However, it is important for the chaplain to self-reflect when boundaries are approached. Ask yourself, am I treating this person or this family differently than I may do other patients? What emotions of my own does this patient or family trigger? And are the emotions impacting my clinical decision-making? Are my actions truly therapeutic for the patient or am I acting in a manner to meet my personal needs? Would I be comfortable if this gift or action was known to the public or my colleagues? Could this boundary issue represent a sign that I'm experiencing professional burnout? So self-monitoring and self-reflection is important, Joe. Yeah?
0: I, I couldn't agree more with that, Saul.
1: I mean, it's absolutely paramount for us, and that's
0: why I went through all of that uh, training mm. because you know I thought you know everybody thinks they know what it is. And they can handle it. Yeah, you know I can handle that, and I'm I'm really good at it. And the, until you all of a sudden you see yourself in the midst of something you didn't know was happening, and you realize then all of a sudden I've stepped over a boundary. Mm. And that can destroy a person in this profession and cause very good, caring people not to be able to perform their duties because the trust issue, and that's the big issue there. You know, you've got to be able to trust, be trusted. And if you're easily distracted and not aware of what you're doing, that can cause problems. And I mean... I would suggest that if that's a, pro, uh, a situation that you're going, to get some help. Mm-hmm. Go get some professional help.
1: That leads us to the question, how can chaplains manage boundary concerns? One, set clear expectations with patients and families as to your role in the context of their care, your availability, and the best ways to communicate with you. Two, use professional colleagues or mental health professional as a sounding board when you're uncertain about your own or your patient family behavior. Address issues as they arise with the patient or family. And four, seek professional counseling for yourself or for the patient and family when boundaries issues impact your ability to provide compassionate care. Saul, I think the
0: most important thing that needs to be done when you start talking about managing that you told of is right there at the right at the top. Mm-hmm. Set them right away. Yeah. If you go in and you don't set your expectations with the family, that's when you're 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 going to all of a sudden find yourself in a place that you don't want to be. Because if it's 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 like the teacher I remember in school. When I was in school, the teacher that came in and said, you know, this is what we're going to do, boom, boom, boom. And it was very rigid, very much, very much there. She set the tone of what it was going to be like, and this is what we're going to do. doesn't mean that things weren't going to be eased a little bit and things were going to have fun and we're going to do that. That's exactly the same point that we have when we start talking about dealing with patients and families. You can call, you can call me, but you can't call me all the time. You can call me through the, the the hospice. I'm on a call. I'm on this or whatever. I can do that, and then it's up to you as the person, as the the chaplain, to say no. And we have a hard time saying no. True. It's a very hard word to say when we're so concerned and unsure of what's going on with that patient that we just adore. And then you've all of a sudden lost it. Then
1: that concludes uh, this episode. Thank you very much for your wonderful questions. And always feel free to, you know, question us at info at hospicechaplaincy.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you so much for your, your willingness to listen and to ask these questions. It was truly a joy to be able to, to talk to Saul today. Blessings to you and your ministry.